All right, so thank you for listening to Babo Radio. Today I'm connected with、uh, Paul Nels, who is an English instructor at Yokohama City University, and he's also a PhD candidate at Yokohama National University, specializing in applied linguistics. Thank you for making the time to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, and、um, today will be a little bit different from other Bubble Radio episodes. We'll not be putting a main focus on powerlifting or exercise, but I'll be hearing from Paul about his overall experiences living here in Japan. So, for those listeners who are interested in moving to Japan or someone who is currently residing here, might be able to、uh, take some valuable information or insights from this episode. So,、uh, before we get into This topic, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about yourself and maybe、uh, where you're from and how long you've, you've been here. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, in my defense on the、uh, athletic training front, I, I am a runner and I've、That's、participated、right. in a number of、uh, full marathons during my time in、mm. Japan. First one I did was actually Tokyo Marathon back in 2011. And okay. I've done a couple other full marathons since then. So, not, not lifting, but、yeah. I, I, do know, I do know what the training slog can、have、be like. Been to, have you been running recently with marathons? Or? Well, there's not a lot of official events going on with the coronavirus、yeah. around, but actually, the coronavirus has served as a big inspiration for me to get out and do a lot of running because. I guess something about a pandemic makes me want to be、yeah. as fit as possible、right. in case I were to get sick. Yeah.、Right? Um, so I've been running a lot. I, in fact, if there were some marathons coming up on the calendar, I would be feeling pretty ready for them at this point. Oh, really? Yeah. I、okay. did a lot of running over the summer. Okay, well, I want to. <laughs> I, oh, oh, I should finish what I, what my introduction to myself, though. I,、um, I'm, I'm originally from the United States and I've been in Japan for. 15 years, not, not continuously though. I was in Japan living in the countryside for three years,、uh, 2002 to 2005, and then went back to America for graduate school and have been in Japan again since 2008. 2008, so overall 15 years. And、um, obviously,、uh, teaching in English in Japan must be a very interesting experience for you as well.、Uh, can you spot any difference in teaching styles or how you approach、uh, students in different countries? Like,、uh, for example, as a student in Australia, I was more used to people being students more interactive. And a good example of this would be、uh, all the front seats of the classroom would always be taken. Or when a teacher asks a question, everybody's hands would go up and people would want to shout out their answers. And I feel like that's something different, different that I've experienced here in Japan. It's actually the complete opposite. Would you have any like,、uh, struggles of, of that as, as a teacher? It's certainly the case that class, classroom culture in Japan tends to be. Quieter and more, I guess, space between the teacher and the students, not just in terms of interaction, but even 
the actual physical space. You mentioned Australian students sitting in the front of the classroom.、Mm. Japanese students all sit at the back. So、right. social distancing has been cool、uh, <laughs> for a long time between teachers and students, at least. Right. But it's a challenge for sure because if you're teaching English, or I also teach.、Um, One of my main focuses in my elective classes I teach is public speaking.、Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to be pretty active in class、right. if you're going to learn how to speak and use English and use it for public speaking. So that's certainly an issue.、Um, there's certain tips and tricks that you learn as you go through.、Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is about building relationships with your students in regards、right. to, you know, I, I get the feeling a lot of professors in Japanese universities don't bother in lecture situations to really.、Um, uh, sorry, there's vending <laughs> machines in the background.、Um, Japanese professors in, or professors in general, I guess,、mm. in Japanese universities don't spend a lot of time learning the names of their students, for instance. Right, okay. And so for me, that's always a point. Like, I want to have my students' names within the first couple of weeks of、mm. class because if you can actually say their names and bring them into class that way and, and make it known that you care about who they are、mm. and what their name is, and also the same thing f- for between students,、right. have them get to know each other as well as possible, as quickly as possible, so that, I mean, it's just. Normal that you're more comfortable talking with people that you、mm. feel you know than if you're sitting in a class full of a bunch of strangers. So, trick, tricks like that,、yep. you, know, you, you get used to trying to emphasize those sorts of things to get your classes more and more interactive. Do they、um, respond well to that? You like trying to learn their names and trying to be more interactive with the、uh, individual students? Are、uh, they very responsive to that, would you say? Sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely.、Um, I I definitely have gotten the impression it's popular, a popular thing amongst the students. And I actually have proof of that because ever so often I'll go on Twitter and I will,、oh, yeah. I will、uh, search my, my name and、right. see. And sometimes <gasps> I get what students say about me. What? Oh, yeah. You probably wouldn't get any bad comments, though, would you?、Uh, I haven't come across anything. Nasty or bad, no,、Whoa. but I, I have come across comments like a, a Twitter conversation that was like, Oh, Mr. Nels actually bothers to learn our names, that's really cool, right? So, okay, I, I've seen the, the proof of, of、oh, that cool. method, <laughs> <laughs> okay? So, for those tweeting out. <laughs> Be careful, I might be watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and also with like the uh, uh, coronas, uh, coronavirus p- pandemic、uh, this year, and you know, a lot of the classes that are happening in Yokohama City University is、uh, it's happening through、uh, Zoom calls and mm-hmm, Zoom mm-hmm. class,、pr- uh, what is it, remote online classes.、Right. And、um, how, what are your experiences with? That because I, and especially with you know, what we just talked about with Japanese students、uh, not being what, wanting to be too interactive in the classroom with remote、uh, classes, wouldn't that make it harder for students to be to,、uh, to have more like a deeper kind of connection with their teachers and trying to be interactive and everything like that? Yes, and no,、mm. I mean, there are some definite disadvantages to. 
the online format, but there were a few things that happened that actually I found to be positive about the online experience. And I think the biggest challenge for me is I'm, I'm definitely an extrovert. I enjoy meeting people mm -hmm. and talking to people. And because of privacy issues, when students are in their own home, et cetera, I can't require that students have their cameras on. Right. And so talking, do, doing classes, talking to black boxes oh. for several hours a day is really exhausting. Mm. It's just exhausting because you feel like you know, you're in a room talking to yourself yeah. almost. Um, so I, I ended up doing a lot of focus of trying to get students into the so-called breakout rooms where they were talking to each other yeah. and, you know, trying to minimize the amount of talking that I was just doing mm. yeah, lecture style. So that was probably good for my own teaching style to get things even more and more mm. student-centered than I already did in my own classroom, physical classroom. Mm. Um, and there were some actual really good things that came out of it that I found to be quite interesting. The, the best example being I did some debates in a elective class that I, that I offer and the debates were really good on Zoom for two reasons. One, in the, in the preparation time between debate segments, the students could go into their breakout room and talk really privately and right. plan their strategy without fear of being overheard. And the second thing was that black box <laughs> actually became an advantage because a lot of times Japanese students in a face-to-face -face setting are not so keen about mm -hmm. really attacking. Right their peers yep yep and in a debate you're supposed to attack mm -hmm. not not you're not attacking them but you're attacking the idea uh, yeah. that they're trying to to get across but a lot of the uh, sort of rebuttal sections of the debates in a physical classroom were kind of weak and half-hearted right but in zoom they <laughs> trying actually not to hurt their feelings yeah yeah exactly because <laughs> you can see the person there and and a lot of times japanese students don't seem to want to do that but yeah. in zoom when they couldn't see the other team it was it was legit I yeah. mean in a way that the physical classroom doesn't seem to get so mm. the the rebuttals the actual attacks during the debate were really well done wow so, so would you say that would um, uh, that would also uh, explain why Japanese people are very heated on something like Twitter and how if you don't see anybody on face to face because I have a feeling that Twitter in well, Twitter in general is scary, but Twitter in Japan is also very scary. And for, and I would sometimes I would read at someone's read someone's tweets and be like, I had no idea that they were thinking that, or mm. I would, that person never came across to me as a person who would say these kind of things. So do you think like not being in like a a face to face situation or being in the same physical space as someone would uh, would really expose almost uh, how Japanese people are really thinking. Do you think? Yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting tie-in with the, the with the debate observation I just made. I hadn't made that connection, but yeah, social media removes a lot of the layers to social interaction that keeps people polite, mm. and that's certainly the case uh, in the U.S. or uh, elsewhere, but. In Japan as well, like the normally 
polite, let's have smooth relationships style that J Japanese society mm. tends to run on. Even here, social media yeah. can get nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's some, part of it is just you, you never feel like you're really talking to real people in mm -hmm. a sense. And it's just a, a, a Twitter handle on the internet. Yeah. And you're not ever going to meet them or have to care mm. about what they're like in real life. So I sort of felt this was the case that the Japanese are not that different than other people in this regard yep. from driving in Japan because right. Japanese drivers can be every bit as rude as American drivers right. can be and it's it's the same phenomenon you're you're separated from <laughs> so true you're separated from the people you're interacting with you you're in your castle that is your vehicle yeah. and and you don't feel so bad about cutting people off or, yeah. or uh, you know, visibly screaming at people like yeah. road rage is definitely a thing in Japan, yeah. and it's uh, sort of a I'll, gives example to the lie that Japanese are always polite. Mm. But I feel like um, it's it, I think it's take it could be taken as a good thing if you don't want to see some negative comments like if because everybody's nice to you in person right but mm -hmm. if you don't want to see the negative like the the <laughs> really harsh like heated side of Japanese people you just don't have to, you just don't go on social media and then you don't have to see it I guess so it's just like you can choose to kind of almost not see it. Yeah, you could turn it off, I, but I know there's there's a lot of people out there that have trouble turning it off. I mean, you get into these Twitter wars or these fights. Thankfully, I'm I'm not really a Twitter person. I'm yeah. I'm mostly on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I have a Twitter account, but it sort of just sits Too there. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, but I definitely know people who, you know, can't can't go to sleep until they've gotten the last word in or they've seen oh, how people have responded right. to something they said and so you end up uh it's kind of an addiction yeah right? and that's definitely not good so it, it's yes in theory you can just turn it off and not pay attention but people definitely have trouble doing that yeah I, for sure I, I, facebook can get just as heated too though <laughs> don't you think well yeah in a different way i mean i feel like twitter is a little more wild wild west um <laughs> in terms of people just throwing out comments because two things you can you can interact with anyone yeah and second of all it's it's even more anonymous mm. like facebook it's it's usually your real name and maybe your real face as your avatar and because you 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 cultivate a friends list the the content that can be seen by you is or that as, that you produce rather yeah is seen ostensibly by your friends quote unquote right uh, you know how 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 closely you keep <laughs> your actual friends list to your actual friends or not that's mm. that's going to vary person to person but it's still for the most part people you know yeah so maybe you do interact with them in real life as well so oh, okay. it's, it's not going to be as um 
confrontational. Right. I feel like、um, maybe they have like the things that they want to say is the same, but the way that they say it is, I feel like in Twitter, as you said, it's like more wild, wild west. Like there's no filters, language. Yeah. And Facebook is a little bit more formal. I feel like I don't know. More filtered. I think more that filtered. the word you use is good.、Yeah. More filtered.、Mm. Um, and I don't know, but I, I do feel like Facebook is also kind of the. The old people's place to argue, though, isn't it? Like, it's it's more、Definitely, young people、yeah. on Twitter and it's more older people on Facebook. Yeah.、Um, yeah. I don't. Do you even do Facebook? <laughs> I do, but I don't really. I don't. A lot of the things that I want to see is already on. Is is it's Instagram for me. Yeah. And I've been told that if you like visual things, like if you like interacting people in like a posting visual stuff or videos and. You should use Instagram, but for Facebook and Twitter, it's a lot about like uh, uh, words, like articles,、sure. uh, blogs, and stuff、yep. like that. So、That's、I feel like、uh, Instagram is more、uh, fitted to me. But I don't even know why I'm doing podcasts then. But <laughs> 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 but I, I don't know. I don't use Facebook only with、uh, Messenger. I think. Right, yeah, right. I, I'm definitely shifting as well. I, I'm using Instagram more and more, and and fa-、yeah. Facebook less and less. But、uh, Instagram has a large level of fakeness to it, though. Like definitely, every, definitely. Everyone's posting their best life, and right? Definitely, yeah. It's yeah. just a, yeah, picture, but it's really interesting to to see. So that you mentioned like um a few things that you've learned from Zoom classes. One being like. Uh, you're gonna get mentally and physically exhausted by just talking to a black box.、Mm-hmm. Is one of them, but you work that out around like uh, having uh, breakout rooms and trying to get people to be more interactive. But a good thing about using Zoom calls may be like、uh, that if you do things like debates, that they could get more heated than usual than you know than you would. Expect to have in like a normal classroom setting.、Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are the the points that you've learned from Zoom classes. You would say,、mm-hmm. it, yeah. Anything else to add? Maybe not.、Uh, I did take advantage of of the Zoom setup to. I I could set it to to cycle through.、Um, I would just cycle through the different breakout rooms. So I'm listening to. Right. I, w- I would turn off my camera and my microphone, and I would just go to the breakout rooms, and I could monitor what students were talking about.、Mm. You know, were were they sticking to the task in English? Yeah. Were they actually there and、mm. <laughs> that sort of thing? But to to sort of also preserve my sanity, I use those those times to actually. Exercise, which I wouldn't be able to do in a physical classroom. Well, what do you mean?、Like、I have I have some dumbbells in my office, <laughs> so like I would be listening to a group talk in their breakout room, and I'd be just like doing <laughs> curls like, or like yeah, why not press ups or something <laughs> like yeah,、um, yeah, because no one can see me, right? <laughs> can you imagine? Right. Can you imagine your teacher、yeah. doing that in the front of the classroom in the in the physical room? That would be weird. But okay, I mean definitely that. That that's my secret though.、Yeah. I'm, I'm letting I'm letting out my secret. But admittedly, like that that was a huge stress reliever for me to be able to do that because, like I said, it was it was stressful and tiring to just talk to black boxes all day. So when the students were working on something, I just. Burn off a little steam. Yeah, and obviously, like you run more and stuff since、mm-hmm. COVID happened, so maybe that's like a good way for you to to get rid of that stress as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And um, trying to get into the, the topic of today's episode is uh, so census statistics in 2018 reports that 97.8% of the population living here in Japan are quote unquote Japanese. And I'm assuming the meaning of Japanese here is being uh, having a, a Japanese citizenship. I'm mm-hmm. guessing, which mm-hmm. leaves 2.2 percent of the population being foreign nationals. Uh, do you would you consider yourself Japanese? And also, what do you think? So I'm throwing two questions here. Uh, would you consider yourself Japanese? And the second one is, what do you think the meaning of being Japanese is? <laughs> Big questions. First one's not terribly difficult. That mm. second one is has a lot, <laughs> lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I do not consider myself to be Japanese, as a short answer to the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, to elaborate a little bit, yes, I do feel I'm acculturated to Japan, mm-hmm. having been here enough years. I mean, I know, I know who celebrities are, I know what to do on the holidays, I know what to do when I go to a funeral. Mm-hmm. So I, I sometimes don't really love the term foreigner, which right. is how people like me are usually referred to because mm-hmm. the connotation to me is like a foreigner is someone who's more like a tourist who doesn't really really know what's going on so I don't feel like a foreigner anymore right uh, but I'm definitely not Japanese either so what yeah. if uh, what would you like to be called as if you, I mean as from the friend or if, if someone had to describe you in a way uh, what, what would you prefer them to call you well, if, if it's like a friend introducing me, I'd prefer they just yeah. introduce my name. Like, yeah, this is my friend Paul. Like, not this is my foreigner friend Paul. <laughs> that, would, that would be a little weird. Uh, that doesn't happen, though. I mean, mm. well, that's, but if, if uh, someone was saying, oh, I have this friend, and they're referring to me, yeah. and he's a foreigner, or he's... What would, what would be the other possible terms? Like, he's non-Japanese, or he's describing like where I'm from or he's originally from America right I mean there's different ways to do it I've thought about that the terminology like I said I don't really feel like a foreigner non-Japanese is descriptive but then I'm describing myself as a negative as something I'm not okay rather than something that I am Mm. Um, if I took Japanese citizenship I'd probably still always sort of think of myself as an American Japanese right you don't you don't spend the first 20 years of your life in America and just kind of cease to be American after mm. that it's not really how it works just like you know if you went back to Australia and gave up your Japanese citizenship you wouldn't suddenly not be Japanese anymore that's, yeah that's, that's true it's not how it works so it's not about the the citizenship it's not entirely anyways but yes yeah, I don't have a really good answer for what I would prefer to be called or refer to myself as. Mm. Um, so I guess foreigner as a default. It's not not perfect, but it is what it is. Yeah, and also like uh, I, you sent me an interesting article about what is it? A, a rugby union in Japan, and they were choosing who they would uh, have on their team. Mm-hmm. And what what was it? What was it? it was oh, they they had. They have these rules be- that the rugby union has in place to. Their explanation is to sort of protect the opportunities of 
natural born Japanese. Natural born Japanese. And so they have these limits, artificial limits on who they define as actually Japanese.、Mm-hmm. So if you've, if you've taken Japanese citizenship, you, you could not be considered Japanese under those rugby union. If you're not、rules. born in Japan. Right. Or, or born with Japanese citizenship, I guess, if you were born to Japanese parents abroad.、Mm-hmm. So, like, if you've, if you've played, you know, if, if you. Were born in England and you end up living and playing in Japan and you, you naturalize,、um, you could be still considered by the rugby rules to not、yeah. be Japanese. I, someone's someone's going to take that to the Japanese Supreme Court and,、oh, yeah. and there's going to be a court case in that, I'm sure. Yeah. And I, it'd be hard for the, the rugby union to argue their case because the Japanese constitution is pretty clear about. Once you have citizenship, you have all the rights yeah, that's,、okay. of a citizen.、Mm. It's actually one of those sticking points that, that makes living in Japan a little bit freaky, in that the way the Japanese constitution is worded,、um, the hum- human rights as it's worded in the constitution are awarded to kokumi.、Right. So, like, I'm human, but as a non citizen, I don't actually have human rights technically under the Japanese constitution.、Okay. And it's, it's been ruled that way. There, there have been court cases that have gone before the Japanese Supreme Court about the rights of foreigners in Japan. And the court ruled that, well, since the constitution only expressly affords human rights to citizens, that means that foreigners don't have human rights. <laughs> that's, that's taking i m I'm, I'm not making that up. Oh, that's taking it to a different,、uh, to a whole different side of the spectrum. I feel like it's,、uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it's one of those things that the that allies, or I should more specifically, the Americans overlooked when they went through the drafting of the Japanese constitution post World War II.、Um, in the English version, it just says human rights, and that's. Meant to apply to everyone, but、right. the, the Japanese version, which is the official version,、right. the, the, they slipped in the word kokumi. So,、mm. so only citizens get access to human rights. Right. And you know, once it's in the constitution, you have to either change the constitution or I guess decide you'll ignore that. Do you think they meant it to be like that though? For people that are not Japanese, you're not supposed to have human rights. You think that was like a, like a, a sneaky way, a sneaky thing? Or that was like the intent? <laughs> it just seems sneaky, but I, whether it was intended or whether it was just like the, the translator just did, well, Atarimai and like wrote it out this way or didn't think that carefully about it.、Yeah. Although when you're writing a constitution, you, you kind of want to believe everyone's thinking carefully about it. What、yeah. exactly they're writing because it's that's what's going to be the letter of the law going forward. So I don't know, I think there's the potential that it was a sneaky thing.、Um, But that would make Japan such a racist country, though, wouldn't you think? Like people who are not Japanese would, would not have human rights almost. It, it would, it would, it opens the door for. Getting away with things、yeah. that, are, that are racist. But whether that makes, I wouldn't say that makes Japanese, I'm sorry, I wouldn't say that makes Japan a racist country because, you know, what people actually do、mm. business wise and 
uh, um, societal interaction wise and, and whatever is is still going to be up to uh, those each individual cases mm. and I wouldn't say that Japan is a racist country at all um, but the potential is there for abuse because the constitution has this loophole right so it could be taken the word Japanese could be also be very flexible and I think that the flexibility of that people take advantage like exactly like the, the whole rugby case you can take mm-hmm. that uh, you can use it to your advantage to suit your needs and for example you, you need to protect Japanese natural bonds that's why I'm gonna now make the definition of being Japanese a person from that was born in Japan so I think that's the flexibility of that people can really take advantage of well there's there's Japan is interesting for me as an American because uh, America, I mean, is obviously imperfect in how it applies and writes and and implements laws, but it tries to be a rule of law country in that the law says this, so we do this. Uh, Japan has an interesting situation where there's there's more possibility for discretion on the part of people applying the law or not applying the law and probably the best example is there was a again a court case that decided that non non citizens don't technically have lawful access to welfare okay so if you're if you're out of work and you're on you're on the dole mm. you don't necessarily have a legal right to being on the dole like you could just not receive any kind of public funds for for help at all Mm. but that whether the the welfare payments will be given out to you or not is still kind of at the discretion of the decisions of the bureaucrats in your ward or your city where you live okay so you could still be perfectly fine in collecting welfare um, as a foreigner in Japan mm. if you were lucky and got nice bureaucrats who, right. who just did the paperwork and said, okay, you're all set. Mm. But if you have like a law stickler yeah. bureaucrat, it's like, well, no, actually, we don't have to give this to you. Uh, you don't have any legal recourse. So, mm. so there's, there's that interesting... The bureaucrats have a lot of flexibility in Japan as right. compared to the states or, or other countries, um, mm. which I, f- I found very interesting and somewhat surprising about Japan. What, what's like uh, Yokohama like? Yeah, oh, that's Yokohama has so many foreigners here. I think they're just kind of accepting. It's yeah. just a pretty open and foreigner-friendly city in general. And in, that would be different if you went to a countryside area. They would be, have potentially. Yeah. I, the only direct experience I could give is I, I get the sense that the Immigration Bureau of Yokohama is a lot more lenient when it comes to issuing visas and because that's another thing like the when you're being issued a work visa you can get either a three-year or a one-year okay. and it, it for many people who have lived and worked here for a long time the discussions are often about how random it is, mm-hmm. how random feeling it seems that you get a one year or a three year. Like, how did they decide which one you got? And I feel like Yokohama 
actually is more likely to give you a three-year like a lot of people I know in Tokyo are just given one-year visas so that means they have to go back and renew every single year right. and I think that might it doesn't make a lot of sense because <laughs> Tokyo Immigration Bureau is one of the most overwhelmed, right? Because there's so many foreigners. Yeah. I would think they'd want to give out three years so they didn't have so many people yeah. coming back to renew their visa every year. But uh, who knows? It just seems that everyone I know in Tokyo just keeps getting handed a one-year mm. visa. <laughs> that's that's anecdotal evidence. I don't have any real proof of that, yeah, though. Yeah, so yeah. don't you know take my words with, right. with caution. So Okay, so maybe different... Like, well, that's interesting because... Uh, country side it would be i have a feeling that they'll be a lot more strict with because there's not enough there's not many foreigners and yes and no like there's maybe this idea that they have more time and they and they they can spend more time to scrutinize and be more strict but at the same time country people Mm. i feel like can oftentimes be a little bit more relaxed yeah i get that and so if you're out in the countryside you're kind of oh you're 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 a genuine part of this community and so we're going to be nice to you like i when i live in the countryside the i've ended up with a lot of friendships with city hall people right. they're just like hey you know you're, you're teaching in our town let's can you join in this matsuri and carry the mikoshi and like, right okay. uh and they would get me involved in the events that they didn't have to but they went out of their way to like try to include foreign residents in, in various mm-hmm. things and so I would actually say that being in the countryside might actually end up making you feel even more a part of the community than you do in the city right do, do you is there cause, sorry I don't know much about this but uh, is there like a financial benefit for bureaucrats if you provide them with a one year visa or a three year visa like is there <laughs> I have no idea yeah, uh, that I don't know if they do one year and then you have to renew it and then they get more money out of that <laughs> I, I don't think they work on a commission so <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean Japan's all about money so I guess like it could be a possibility maybe if they're making money off it, then... Well, the, I don't think it would be like a personal commission thing. However, yeah. there is the phenomenon in Japan that, that when you work for a public entity, and, and because I work for a public university, I, I, I definitely get this. Mm. If you're given a budget and you don't spend all of that budget, then they'll just cut your budget next year. So you end, okay. up, you end up doing whatever you can to use all of your budget. What do you mean a budget? Uh, the money that you're given from the government. Oh, okay. So, like, so you, you've been allotted, let's say, your, your department is given a million yen, hyakuman mm. yen for whatever. Yeah. And if you use that full million yen on equipment and hiring and, you know, whatever, mm. whatever that budget's supposed to be for, like uh, printer's ink yeah, and okay, paper yeah. and, and uh, memberships or yeah. whatever, um, you use all of that, then next year you're going to get that same million yen again. Mm. But if you only use 900,000 yen of it, yeah. then the, the, the city would be like, oh, okay, we can save the taxpayers some money. You obviously didn't need the full million, so your budget from now on is 900,000. Mm. And so you end up cutting your own budget if you don't use it. Right. So most often bureaucratic entities do their best to spend all of the money okay. they possibly can mm. 
so that their budget doesn't get cut. Oh, okay. And it's it makes sense because there's times, you know, in when you need more money. So like if you didn't you you didn't really need all of the money this year, but next year you might. Mm. So having that budget cut happen is going to really hurt. So yeah, the the departments are always really gung ho to make sure they spend absolutely everything. Okay, well there you go. I don't know. I have to um so, look I don't know. That sounds like a conspiracy things. theory yeah. for like the bureaucrats. We have to make sure we have as many foreigners get visas every year so we don't get our budget cut. That's uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's like a financial factor involved in that of like the difference in how uh, different areas are strict and different areas of what we like. Is, is this know. a conspiracy theory podcast? <laughs> am I, what have I found myself on here? <laughs> it's really interesting to me. Sorry. Um, well, I. Just moving into the next topic, which is um, about your experience here in Japan. Now, I can't back up with evidence that there are like anatomical structured differences telling about like Japanese face to like a foreign resident American face. But oh, I obviously have to say this because then otherwise I think I would be like Physical come across as like yeah. Um, but I think we can both agree that you would come across most Japanese people as someone from a foreign country. Right. All right. And with this in mind, have you experienced, uh, you know, have you had an experience living here in Japan where you thought you were treated differently, possibly unfairly, um, treated differently from other Japanese nationals? And even though you have been here for more than 15 years and have what somewhat of like a Japanese family and being able to speak the Japanese language and, and so on, things like that, have you have any experiences? Well, um, just just quickly to detail what you mean by physical differences. Yeah, I'm I have blonde hair and I have blue eyes and I definitely I, I don't have a typical Asian uh, face shape like the the so-called high nose that they say. In Japan. Yeah. I've never really understood what that means. Kind of sounds like big nose, which we doesn't have a flat face apparently. Yeah, the, that which is a stereotype, obviously, but. Um, yeah, so I do stand out, and that that's definitely true. Um, people wouldn't look at me and think, oh, that person is Japanese. Uh, has it affected... I mean, there's... It, it does change your day-to-day -day experience some ways, but it's not a frequent occurrence, honestly. Like, I go through my daily life and my daily routine, and I don't... For the most part, I don't feel like I'm standing out. Just day to day, go through my work week. Not much happens that makes me think, oh yeah, I'm a foreigner. Mm. Um, the occasional times that I am re sort of reminded, oh yeah, that's right, I'm, I stand out. Usually are language related, like someone, like a staff will try to speak to me in English or, you know, if, at McDonald's, flip flip the menu over to the English side mm. and that kind of thing. Um, those sorts of things don't really bother me. Right. Uh, they're the kind of things that I feel if they bother you, you maybe don't stay in Japan as long as I have. Yep. Because if, if little things like that, like, oh, this must be a foreigner, let's help him out with English. I mean, I almost find like that could be viewed as the staff trying to show good customer they service like they're trying to anticipate yeah, your needs with negative intent like. and with the huge tourist boom in japan these days it's it's not a bad guess in a lot of instances that the person is a tourist and and 
doesn't know. Oh, uh, some people do get pissed off by that, right? Like oh, yeah, the English menu, and then ah, I don't need an English menu, but then they can't. They can't speak <laughs> Japanese. Yeah, they actually do <laughs> need the English menu, asking. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that's that's definitely the case. Um, yeah. I, I, that's it. Does it does annoy some people? Um, I, I'm not someone that really gets upset mm. by that. The the one that does get to me though is if I've actually already started using Japanese and there's some kind of insistence that I don't speak Japanese, right. which is okay. which can happen like. Sometimes it's a panic moment, and I don't hold that against the person. Like, the person is afraid I'm going to speak English and they're not going to understand. And when I speak in, in Japanese, they don't even register that I use Japanese. Okay. They just assume that what came out of my mouth was English, and they're like, ah, no English. Um, and that happens? Oh, yeah, it happens. Like, it's, it's, a, it's like a moment of paralysis oh, where their, their brain isn't actually right okay processing that i actually mm -hmm. just use japanese and the other one that that does that's not the one that bugs me the one that bugs me is if i'm with my wife and i ask a question in japanese and they direct the answer to my wife right that that one's that one gets to me because it's like look i asked you the question which clearly demonstrates that i'm expecting you know i did it in japanese and i'm expecting <laughs> an answer to my question so why are you talking to her? Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like you're not treated as like a like a like a person. Yeah. Like, or I'm treated as someone who's a non-functioning person, <laughs> like, like, a, like a child almost. Yeah, yeah. Gotta gotta explain it to the parent. Um, and you also mentioned the one about the the credit card where you where you <laughs> where you go to pay and. Yeah, I'll hand the credit card over. Um, and then they'll hand the credit bar card and the receipt to my wife. I'm like that's my <laughs> credit card. I what? What? What are you doing? Right. Um, that almost that the, with the changing credit card system, though, that never happens anymore because now they all have the machine with the chip. And right. You, you insert it yourself, and the staff no longer handles your credit card. Yeah. So uh, I don't have to worry about that. Mm. I guess. Right. Three things like uh, like that. I think uh, so. This is like the second time we've actually recorded this podcast. The first <laughs> one that uh, uh, on my behalf, it was well, the the sound quality was not great, so we had to, and that was my fault. So we had to re-record this. But I think on the first take, you explained to me about where you're sitting on the bus, and a person would come up to you and try to speak to you oh yeah yeah the, the other aspect of standing out is generally speaking japanese don't just strike up conversations with other japanese that they don't know yeah. on public transportation but that can happen um to me uh, because i stand out like people want to maybe practice their english mm. or or are just interested in speaking to a foreigner because I've actually had this happen where the, the person who wanted to talk to me doesn't even speak English really yeah. and so we end up having a conversation in Japanese mm. but still like they approached me to talk to me yeah. um, and I guess we're hoping I could speak Japanese um, actually just that happened recently I had a conversation with a guy who he loves rock and roll and we just had a conversation about British and American rock bands. Okay. It, was, it was all in Japanese, and we're sitting on the, the KQ line, and, mm. and it was totally random. That like, is, just that wanted wouldn't to talk. happen. No, the Japanese don't no. approach each other that way, right? No. But right. 
and it's not always a bad thing. I mean, that, that was an interesting conversation, for example. And I've also had people be like, hey, um, you know, would you be willing to like do a, a, a like a one-off English seminar at our at our little community center or Whoa, whatever? Okay. Which it's it's resulted in some random like opportunities that paid money. So hey, okay, why not? Right. Uh, have you had any experiences where because the the examples that you brought up doesn't seem like it was supposed to be uh, discriminatory with intent have you had any experiences where you knew that they wanted to offend you just because you look like <laughs> you look different or? are we back on twitter again Is that oh, no, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> deliberately offending um no um the, the two things that that come to mind that can feel a little offensive are the empty seat next to you on the train right. like the seat next to me is always the last to fill up pretty mm. much and I, I sometimes I, I mean I, the charitable interpretation of that is people are afraid I'm going to strike up a conversation with right. them and they don't want to be seen to not speak English or embarrassing that yeah. why why is this why am I talking to this foreigner mm -hmm. sort of thing um, and the uncharitable is that they don't want to sit next to a foreigner for, mm. for some other reason like I've, I've I've genuinely had it happen where the seat next to me is open and some someone has come onto the train and like spotted the seat and starts walking towards it and then realizes that there's a foreigner next to that open space and then like sort of casually does the oh I was just going to put my bag up here and I never intended to sit in that seat sort of move um, that could feel a little offensive yeah but um, but then the other side of that is is ever so often you know the, the train will be sort of half full and someone will sit down next to me and then I get suspicious I'm like right there are other open seats that you chose to sit yeah next to me. I wonder why <laughs> like, and usually it's nothing like, the person probably again just wasn't paying attention and mm. it's like sat down but I have a feeling like those moments like that are very indirect ways of being treated differently if for for example in Australia Sorry, not an example. It actually happened. But um, I've had people throw empty cups from takeaway chain shop, like McDonald's, out of their car window when I was walking in Australia as well. And they would call like all different types of names, like, oh, like Ching Chong. Or, I don't know. That's a way to be racist, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, they would yell stuff. They would throw stuff. It would be like physical and it would be verbal, very attacking, direct ways of racism. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the stories that you brought up doesn't sound like it's a very direct way it's more like an indirect way of or maybe without intent even yeah I, I think there's you mentioned at the beginning um, for people listening who might be interested in living in Japan or are living here already I think it's definitely the case that you're not going to face physical altercations uh, those sort of physical representations of racism, like having things thrown at you or having epithets. Is that the correct pronunciation? <laughs> I've actually only ever seen that word in print. I've never actually said it out loud. Uh, racist slurs, mm. like, shouted at you. That, that's not something that happens 
in Japan. Mm. I I can think of one instance where someone yelled at me, and it was kind of racist, and it was clearly someone who was also not mentally stable. Like right, they, right. They were not. Uh, they had some sort of. They had, they had, they had, yeah, they had some sort of disability. So I didn't really hold that against them. Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. I, I the, most of the stories I hear about this usually happens around um, alcohol, like right. incidences fueled by alcohol can happen. Thankfully, um, nothing like that has happened to me directly or anyone that I know directly. So even that's not right. a very common occurrence. Uh, and and I. I Take a moment to point out <coughs> that there's there's actually a really good YouTube channel um, that's the uh, about the black experience in Japan, right. where um, black people, uh, not just from America but from African mm. countries and, and elsewhere, talk about their experience being black in Japan. And one of the th themes that pops up a lot is that black people ve feel very safe here. Okay. In a way that they might not in in countries where physical racism might right. be a threat, like okay. the United States or Australia, mm. um, where there could be threat of physical violence, or you know, the police being more likely to to um, physically uh, get physical with you during right. an arrest or something. Mm. That so. Watching that channel has made it clear that that like Japan feels very safe right. for for black people as well. Mm. So it, in a physical sense, yeah, you're not going to run into that. Mm. I think the most egregious form of discrimination that I've experienced directly was with housing, and it's a common one yeah. that foreigners talk about a lot. And it's it's the most common example I think foreigners have of a sort of accepted dis discrimination. Right. In, that happens in Japan, and that is apartment owners are not required to rent to well, anyone really in, in specific, but there's a lot of like no foreigner policies right. out there. Mm -hmm. So I was actually sitting in a housing agent looking for an apartment, and on the phone he's just openly asking the owners he's calling he's like my, my client is a foreigner do you rent a foreigner right you know right in front of me oh you don't okay and then with an apologetic look to me he's like well, let's try the next place yeah um so that's that's definitely a thing mm, and that is i mean mm, <laughs> i'm not trying to protect that obviously but is there why is there that kind of rule why does that kind of rule exist of of not renting out to foreigners. It well, I, there's. You you can't say it's not discrimination. It's absolutely discrimination. Um, but to be charitable, it is not necessarily racism. Sometimes it's uh, because they're afraid that language barrier will cause like breach of rental contract okay. because the foreigner doesn't understand the other rules about renting the place mm -hmm. or. A foreigner is more likely to like suddenly skip out of the country and not pay their rent. Right, or, okay. So it's absolutely discriminatory, but not necessarily racially motivated. Right. Okay. Although I I've heard from other people that there are instances of like places that won't 
rants to like Indian people because like this because their cooking is very strong smelling and the apartment will always smell like curry forever or something like that. I mean, okay. I've heard I've heard nonsense like that yeah. before. And I did have uh, the very same housing agent I was just talking about specifically point out that I was a white foreigner. Right. Which I thought was interesting that it sounded like he was leveraging my... White. The fact that I was white and the fact that I was American to make it clear that I wasn't just like any old foreigner that mm. might be brown-skinned or coming from a developing country or something like that. Right. I, it didn't work. Uh, the, the, the places were still like, nope, no foreigners. But yeah. <laughs> it's, it did, I did get the impression he was trying to, to uh, make it sound like I was an acceptable foreigner or something right, like that. Okay. Which, which I definitely wasn't. We didn't rent any place through that agency yeah. in the end I, I definitely wasn't I mean you don't really want to rent a place from someone who is like that anyways right so I think it's I think it's fair that I mean kind of good that they're up front with you at the start <laughs> <laughs> like being uh, living there and then them being super racist to you then be like no no foreigners <laughs> no I mean every place I've ever rented I've never actually met oh, okay. the owner themselves because right. the owner doesn't usually live in the apartment yeah. it's usually like an investment property or something right. right so or it's owned by a holding company or something like that like I've I guess I mean I've known people who who actually have met their landlady who like lives in actually lives in one of the apartments themselves down down on the ground floors I mean that happens yeah. but Everywhere I've ever rented, I've never actually met the person who owned it. So, in those cases, there's not much of an excuse. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think um, we'll move on a little bit, but um, this one is a little bit of a, a cultural one. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the influence of like the historical and cultural values of Japan. Like, for example, the shame culture in Japan. And... Uh, we talked about this on the last attempt of the podcast, but I brought up a, an American anthropologist, Ruth Benedict, who I believe first brought up this shame culture term to light. And she explains that uh, shame culture behavior involves the satisfaction of externally institutionalized social requirements. For this, no inner principle one's own picture of oneself is necessary. Abiding by the rules and capacity to come up to the socially set standards are all that is required, meaning that individuals are governed not by internally autonomous moral principles, but by externally imposed sanctions. And uh, I, I had to do a little bit of research on this, and I've actually experienced this form of shame culture in Japan. Uh, I was actually lining up for to get into an onsen, and you had to pay at the counter and there was a family we were lining up and there was a family right in front of me and then the the child looked really sick and then one moment he just projectile vomited onto the floor and you know he looked very very unwell and then the first thing that the mother did was not hey are you okay like are you feeling okay she literally turned around to me and then bowed her head down and be like I'm really really sorry they had to witness that so I feel like the, the priority is like how people look at you is more prioritized than your child's health almost I've heard of this example where 
uh, how you raise your children in Japan is also affected by the shame culture. For example, uh, you wouldn't if your child was wearing a t-shirt in the middle of winter, you wouldn't say put your jacket on because it's cold. You would say put your jacket on because you look weird in front of other people, like wearing a t-shirt in the middle of winter. And I'm curious to know if uh, you brought up a good point about people coming to sit next to you on the train and that they're scared oh, no people not sitting next to you on the train because they're scared that they'll talk to that you talk to them mm-hmm. in English and then they'll be embarrassed by that D- would you say that this uh, this shame culture still uh, exists here in Japan and, all, and if that affects how people treat foreign nationals in Japan okay well the the Ruth Benedict book is very famous. Um, it's a little bit dated in some ways and perhaps paints the phenomenon in too broad a brush. Mm. But there's, there's truth to it in terms of how the idea manifests in, like, for example, you've mentioned child rearing. Um, in my own family, like the parenting style of my wife and I is different in that regard. I'm more likely to tell my daughter, you know, don't do this because it's not the right thing to do. Right. Uh, whereas my wife would be more likely to say, you know, don't do this because what will the neighbors think? Mm, um, right. And I'm not usually thinking or caring what the neighbors <laughs> think. I'm yeah. just like, you don't do this because you're not, uh, it's, it's uh, inappropriate behavior. But I'm not framing it from how other people are going to be seeing it. Um, I'm, although I guess it, it, the end, the end game of that is obviously it's going to affect yeah. how other people perceive you. Um, there's, but there's also, I guess where it, there's more concrete example possibly that shame culture is more of a thing, is that in some respects there is. There are instances where Japanese will do things that are not good, but because it's not in the public eye, right. they don't care. Okay. Um, I did a video on my YouTube channel about uh, this weird relation that Japanese have with garbage. <laughs> I was going to mention that actually. Like, it always made me wonder why Japan has such glistening clean cities when it comes to like rubbish disposal mm. compared to you know New York mm. or or Paris or something like Japanese a lot of tourists always comment Japanese cities are so clean yeah but you get so much garbage dumping along the highways and in the forests out in the countryside that you know in, in America we just push this message of you know keep nature clean right. don't don't toss your rubbish in the woods and generally speaking people are good about that yeah in australia uh australian people would be just uh, completely appalled at how japanese beachgoers treat their beaches here yep. like yeah yep. it's kind of an accepted thing that you can just leave a beach mm. littered with rubbish mm. um, because there's no shame in it there's and also a sign that says uh, poiste, which is throwing out rubbish, is yeah. wa kakkoaruizo. 
yeah. is like a sign. Yeah, and it's like, like it's, it doesn't it doesn't look cool. It's a bad image. Yeah, it's yeah. a bad image. So don't throw away rubbish. It's and so if if you're in a place where no one's gonna see you throw it away, mm. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that whether that's really evidence of shame culture, I'm not sure, but but it seems uh, like. Uh, fairly indicative that it, it is a thing mm. that like okay if it's if no one's going to actually make me feel embarrassed by this action because no one's around yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and do it yeah it's definitely that do you think that's like a treated a influenced how the distance between Japanese and quote unquote non-Japanese people of like I don't want to speak I don't want them to speak to me in public in English because it's going to be embarrassing or well, whether it's shame culture per se, there's definitely a very strong aversion to em embarrassment mm. of any kind. Um, I mean, of course, no one wants to be embarrassed in any country or culture. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to s make it seem like they know exactly what they're doing <laughs> at all times. Um, but in Japan, it's, it's, that's dialed up a few levels. Uh, the the fear of embarrassment seems to be a lot stronger, which I think is maybe leads to something we were talking to earlier about Japanese people being more shy in general. Yeah. Like if if you're if you're really outgoing and and put your opinions out there and and uh, the chances for embarrassment are going to be mm. higher and. It's you know in the parenting, again the the parenting techniques. There's a lot of like, don't don't do this because you'll embarrass yourself or you'll embarrass us. Yeah, like you'll make yeah. you'll make us look like bad parents for allowing you to wear that T-shirt. I think that's mostly the case. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. It's it's you know you you will you will make us look bad as a family yeah. by wearing that T-shirt in winter. Um, whereas I guess that's maybe also collectivist versus individualist yeah. cultural differences as well. I mean, because if my daughter goes out in shorts and a t-shirt in December, like that's on her. Mm. Like, <laughs> if, if you're, if you get embarrassed and get treated like you're an idiot, yeah. that's on you. Like, I'm not going to accept any responsibility for that, exactly. but I, but my wife would, yeah. my wife would be mortified yeah. and like, uh, you know, what the neighbors all think I'm a bad mother. And, <laughs> And right. Well, I was it you who told me it was very long time ago about work in Japan, and a worker couldn't leave work on time because he was afraid that when he was coming home, his neighbors would think, "Oh, he's not working hard enough by staying longer." Like, uh, I think that was me that told you that, but it wasn't so, about myself. Yeah, I was. So. I was talking about. Um, one of my former colleagues who's not at the university anymore um, uh, actually moved to, uh, he's, he's Japanese, but he moved to America. But being Japanese, he was actually, his wife told him that, because he's in the same job as me, and essentially we're done with our classes. If we've got our preparation done, we typically can leave the university at a fairly typical time for Westerners, like 5, 6 right. p.m. with my eyes to it. But his wife made some comment of like, you know, you, you, you're the earliest husband to come home in our neighborhood and that's kind of embarrassing. 
<laughs> wow. That's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's a more of like the shame culture as well, taking to very extreme levels too. Well, I have a question for you though. Yeah. Like, to what extent are the Japanese neighbors, per, so to speak, really paying attention to you though? Are they really like peering out of their windows and like, oh, that Nell's kid is wearing a t-shirt in December and oh, that uh, Cannon's husband is coming home at, at uh, uh, 6 p.m. Like, uh, are people really watching like that? Some places I think can get really, really scary, like to be honest. Um, it's oh, this is one big problem. My neighbor actually goes through a rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I know the rubbish, please. And That's then, I'm familiar with that. Uh, whenever there's like an English English written paper, they will come knocking onto our door and be like, is this your rubbish? You're not supposed to throw it on this day. And I know this is yours because it's written in English. And I feel like I'm being policed all the time as well at home. But I don't know about like peeking through the windows or his home. But I've had many comments that are like, oh, uh, a lot of people are home recently because there's cars and uh, there's people walking around and so obviously they are observing but I'm definitely not observing my neighbors but maybe some older people might be <laughs> yeah I guess if you got a lot of time on your hands like the garbage police people are usually just elderly people with nothing better to do yeah it's, it's, um, it's I've had that happen to me like really? garbage and it, and it wasn't mine like it was just assumed to be mine because of course the foreigner is the one who must have thrown oh, yeah. the garbage out on the wrong day and I was like you're, you're putting someone else's garbage I, they didn't ring the doorbell they just left it on my doorstep oh that's annoying too and I'm like yeah oh <laughs> I don't know I don't know if this will make the podcast but it's a it's a pretty hilarious story I'll never forget this it's a, it's the exact opposite um, it's in a freaky way like I one time I took my it was it was paper recycling day and I took my uh, my paper so it's like it's like label paper labels and like uh, you know any kind of wrapping paper or something like that it's paper recycling day and I go out and I it's my paper recycling is a is in a bright yellow paper bag right. which, you know has to be in, that's all all has to be paper yes and I put it on top it's one of the last bags to go out before the truck's gonna show up yeah and so it's sitting right on top yeah and it's bright yellow and I go back into my apartment and I'm leaving for work like five minutes later and and basically I just went back into my apartment gathered my bag and gathered my stuff and it took like five minutes and then I'm walking back I'm walking past the Gomi station and the truck pulls up right at that moment yeah and I don't see my yellow bag yeah. and and they start I think oh it must have maybe fallen off the back of the of the pile or something and they start the workers get out of the truck and they start taking the paper and they're throwing in the truck and the pile dwindles and my yellow bag is gone someone took specifically my bag of paper recyclables <laughs> and I've always wondered why for what purpose like was it the garbage police did they were surreptitiously going to check to see if I hadn't put any or was someone trying to like identity theft me or or was or is there some creepy person who's like oh 
stalking me or like that's that, that, kind of that's scary yeah that, that, all those thoughts went through my head like why was my so they must have been watching you almost someone had to have been watching me at that juncture and then went out and took the bag but for what purpose Whoa. i never found out i don't live there anymore so mm. creepy right it is really creepy yeah <laughs> I mean, rubbish is like probably the best way that you can find out how people are living inside the house as well. Oh yeah, what what they eat, what they drink, what they buy. Yeah, yeah. But that where they creepy. where they got orders from. If there's labels. Yeah. I hope that's not racially driven. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I I never. I mean, I'm smart enough not to throw out like. Uh, credit card information yeah. or something and, and uh, I definitely dispose of things properly so there wasn't anything in there that I that was either hazardous or embarrassing for me mm. but but uh, still it was weird yeah I think like with the whole discrimination thing in general if, if this was racially driven and I, I just have like this feeling that okay are they being uh, uh discriminatory with negative intent or are they just simply obviously not in this rubbish case but are they simply just curious because they're so like a different creature to what they've they're used to you know like for example if you were in a uh, room full of humans like normal people and all of a sudden an alien walked into the room right <laughs> you would be like what like what is that I want to know more about it. Like you would, everyone would turn around to it and be like, "Oh, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder what he's saying and stuff like that." I'm just thinking, like people, foreign residents that are moving into Japan, maybe because Japanese is very closed off, you know, set ways, collectivistic ideas as well. Do you think that they're just simply curious about foreign residents, but not necessarily have like a negative intent towards? offending them or making them feel in a negative way well this kind of goes back to the fact that people will just come up and talk to me as, as since I obviously stand out I mean yeah I think in those instances it's clearly just curiosity and yeah. like the guy who wanted to talk about rock and roll like maybe thought because I'm American I'd, I'd <laughs> be really into American rock and roll yeah. so um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. It, it depends where you are. I mean, if you're in Yokohama, Tokyo, there's so many foreigners that, for the most part, no one pays any attention to you. Right. Um, if you're in a highly trafficked tourist area, mm. that's the same thing. No one's yeah. really going to pay much attention to you because the residents are, for the most part, just used to foreigners. Mm. And it's not, not a big deal. But if you're off in the countryside where not many foreigners are seen or go, you will get more attention as some strange alien, I guess. Right. I mean, I, where I lived in the countryside originally, you know, I would, I would get, I would be the object of attention by elementary school kids, for example. They'd all gather around and be like, hello, like nice to meet you, and, and want to play. Like, I'm automatically like someone to play with yeah. for, for elementary school kids out in, in the country anyways, but um, mm. not in the city. And I'm not so much even, I, even in the countryside, I think, you know, Japan has been, uh, has had its foreign resident population growing and in the age of, of mass media and social media, like 
foreigners aren't so foreign anymore, perhaps, mm -hmm. even out in the countryside areas. So I feel like that phenomenon of, of being a real curiosity isn't such of a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. I, from what I know of people who have lived in China, like, if you still go out into like the rural villages of China, you'll get kind of rock star treatment. Everyone will want to like give you food and, and like want to take selfies with you and that kind of yeah. thing. But in, in Japan, that, that doesn't happen. I, I don't, back when I first came here in 2002, there were occasionally people who would be like, hey, can we take a picture together? Right. But that doesn't happen anymore. Like even in the countryside, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's just because I'm 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 old now and no one wants a picture with an old guy. But uh, <laughs> so that, so I maybe I maybe uh, uh, that may actually no, be a different reason. Like 2002. But. That's six years after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I first came to Japan six years after you were born. That's right. You're 24. Yeah. Uh, um, well, there's like a ton, there's tons of stuff that I would love to talk about still, but uh, we are running short of time, so I will... And battery. And battery. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, last question is, uh, you also have a YouTube channel where you share a lot of uh, your experiences as well. Can you uh, link that to us as well? Can you tell Abs me a little bit about yeah, it? Absolutely. Um, my, my channel name is called X Chapter. It's supposed to be a play on words of like next chapter and expat. Yeah. Um, and then the word Japan in the, you know, in the mix. It's basically, I, I, the, the niche I'm trying to fill is, is the viewpoints of a foreigner who's been here for a long time. Um, there's a lot of, there's tons of vlogs about Japan, but they tend to be like the top 20 things to do in Shibuya or like what to do when you go to Kyoto or uh, Japanese manners explained. You know, it, it tends to be kind of content for tourists or people just arriving for the first time. So I'm trying to give a, a perspective from more like a long-termer's point of view. Right. And the other niche is I, I like to do walk and talks mm -hmm. where I'm like, I, I pick a neighborhood and I talk about my topic as I'm walking around. Right. So you can just kind of see an unedited yep. Japanese life happening around me mm -hmm. um, for people who are interested in like just seeing a slice of daily life and so that's that's what I do on my channel um, I've been doing it for about a year and a half and I have a new video every week so I got a fair amount of content by now mm -hmm. so anyone wants to check it out by all means yeah there's uh, there's you cover a lot of different topics whether that's like uh cultural or social or political even i think you recently did a political one yeah. of like has living in japan maybe more left or right yeah yeah i did yeah. that as well so if you're interested in any of those then please i think it's uh, good that you check it out so yeah i think that's about it thank you for well, making can I add one? Yeah, more? of course. I, well, you should check it out because uh, you, you you get to learn more about the host of this podcast if you do because I just interviewed <laughs> Canon for an episode. So if you are mm. interested in learning more about her experience as a Australian returnee to Japan, yeah. then uh, please watch that episode. Yay, because I don't usually talk about myself on my own podcast, so that could right. be an interesting thing too. So, uh, thank you, Paul, for making the time to be on the show today. I had a very good time talking to you. Yes, thank you for having me. I wish I could say more about powerlifting. <laughs> thank you.